I think it was in April that Satya Nadella from Microsoft said, listen, we just saw five years of tech adoption happen in five weeks. And this was all going to happen. It's all happening faster. That's what we're seeing. When March hit, we just saw basically a year get pulled forward in our story of how we're growing the business. I know personally at Coffee, we saw a nearly 100% increase in sales to people at home. A lot of businesses uh, will ask me, will this continue? And I, I don't think it'll continue at the rates we saw at the beginning, but it will level off at a higher level. Really, consumers to convert and to actually purchase a machine, they need to have not only um, a functional excuse to purchase, but it also has to be an emotional excuse to purchase. Hi, welcome to Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of coffee business magazine, Fifth Wave. Every other week, we listen to inspiration from key leaders who are carving out a roadmap of success across the world of coffee. Whether you're an independent cafe operator or CEO of an international coffee chain, each episode brings you business lessons, inspiring stories, and lots of thought leadership. We all love drinking coffee in the home. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the future of home coffee and how COVID has shifted the landscape. Today, we're going to hear from Paul Radden, founder of Coffee Hit, a UK e-commerce platform selling all the gear you need to make great coffee at home. We'll also hear from Maria Colon and Doug Parkinson of DeLonghi USA. DeLonghi is a global manufacturer of coffee machines for the domestic market. But to kick things off, I'm speaking with Mike Lackman, CEO of Trade, a US specialty coffee subscription service. Founded in 2018, Trade counts Jab Holdings as investors and today stocks 400 coffees from over 60 roasters across the United States. In May this year, Trade shipped their one millionth bag of roasted coffee. What an impressive milestone. Among the many insights, Mike suggests that in-home coffee drinkers are increasingly wanting diversity. That is, diversity of origins, of roast degrees, brew methods, and a whole lot more. They're becoming so much more knowledgeable about coffee. And he says that US specialty coffee roasters are tapping into a much bigger at-home market by roasting their same high-quality coffees, but roasting them darker. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me. Mike. I wonder if you give our listeners a little bit of background on your business. What does Trade do? Trade is a business that was founded in 2018 around this mission of trying to get more people to see the actual coffee they are buying as less of a commodity. We do that through really delightful tech-enabled personalized subscription experiences and a pretty sharp supply chain that allows our customers to be able to get a seamless variety of really relevant, great tasting coffees that are intimately personalized to exactly what they want. And how's your business been affected by COVID? I think it was in April that Satya Nadella from Microsoft said, listen, we just saw five years of tech adoption happen in five weeks. And this was all going to happen. It's all happening faster. That's what we're seeing. When March hit, we just saw basically a year get pulled forward in our story of how we're growing the business. And what we did from the beginning was figure out how we could partner with roasters to figure out exactly what they needed so that we could more sustainably help them weather the storm. I wonder if you could share some, perhaps some of the 
trends that you're seeing in in purchases of coffee for the home? There are two trends that I think you'll find interesting. The first is the broad nature of the demand for variety among the consumers who we serve. So one of the reasons that trade exists is that the consumer, whether they're buying the very best stuff that's out there, we have coffees that sell for $90 a bag in some cases, or people who are just barely getting into craft coffee and they're buying the most accessible price points we have, the desire for variety is equal across that distribution. I am absolutely convinced that we will see much greater insistence on variety and we will see a more discerning set of flavor and experience demands from consumer. Two is from a merchandising perspective, we're also finding from supply and demand that the feedback mechanism that caused our roasters to source coffee was principally shop driven for a long time. And that led them to source a lot of coffees either that are really good in espresso drinks or that they really like to cup. Conversely, there's a disproportionate amount of demand and a disproportionately small amount of supply for bridge coffees that bridge people from second wave, darker roast profiles, more traditional coffees to the third wave. And the roasters who make coffees that are really accessible to folks who don't know a lot about coffee, folks who are more likely to put milk and sugar in their coffee, folks who two weeks ago were drinking Starbucks or eight o'clock coffee or New England coffee or Pete's or something of that nature, those roasters are capturing the largest share of the emerging demand pool because they sell to a larger audience of people. And lots of those people are now evolving into different taste profiles as they learn more about the industry. Mike, you work with a lot of specialty coffee roasters. So I'm wondering, is there a trend towards more ethical coffees becoming part of the consumer dialogue? Yeah, there is. I, I think ultimately consumers vote with their dollars. One of the interesting things we did see was that we tapped into a larger number of younger people after COVID. I think the, the youngest generation is more acutely aware of how this economy works and the value they have in it, and they can choose where they want to put their dollars. People want to take actions in their politics and their buying decisions that are going to leave the world a better place than they found it, because I don't think that people see that as a guarantee or a foregone conclusion anymore. So what kind of trends are you seeing around what customers are brewing? Espresso more over drip, for example? Our progress into the espresso drinks side of the world, I think, is still pretty nascent. Uh, a lot of our first two years in business have, in the majority, been around pour-over French press and drip brew methods. And I think, in particular, as we tried to make ourselves more accessible to a larger audience, we really focused on a lot of those user stories that were focused on drip brewing and pot brewing, just because there's such a giant universe of American customers who fit that behavior. The thing that is interesting is that we're seeing a strong trend toward preference for multiple brewing methods. There's a lot of desire on the part of customers to explore things like AeroPress or to create variety day to day with different brew methods. And I think when we look at our product roadmap, we think that there's some interesting opportunity to be able to make a tailored difference between which roasts are best for which brew methods and can you show more variety with a variety of brews and a variety of brew methods, part of a richer coffee experience over the course of a year or a period of time. I've got a really broad question to ask you here. What do roasters need to do to meet the needs of tomorrow's consumer in the home? Well, I definitely think that having a reasonably broad skew set that matches the flavor preferences of consumers is important. And each roaster 
needs to decide the brand guardrails that they have for what kind of coffee they want to make and then what part of the market they want to serve. But it's definitely true that breadth of assortment we've seen directly tied to what kind of market you can serve. And that's true of flavor profiles and that's true of price points as well. Frankly, we've had some really interesting conversations with roasters who historically have mostly created variety by sourcing different coffees, where we're having some interesting conversations about trying to take the same green and roast it several different ways as a way of taking the same product story investment from their perspective and then reach different audiences with their same capabilities just by changing the actual roasting process to to meet different consumers. Certainly, when you look at a company like Odeco that recently raised money and added some capabilities, the whole prospect of installed app base, local loyalty, and the ability to have a direct relationship with one way or another with customers is something that a lot of roasters are investing in or seeing strong returns on. Are you seeing much demand in North America for craft specialty roasters from abroad? So that's actually not something that's come up. And I actually can't even think of a single case of a net promoter score or a satisfaction review or an email that, that we've read where uh, the customers express, God, if only you had some, I've heard great things about the roasters in England. You know, let's, let's get some English coffee over here. I haven't seen that. So what are some of the barriers to the growth of the home market? Well, definitely, I think when coffee's a commodity, you can just give it away because it's just coffee. And it can have a fancy label or a cute story or links to some charity or something like that. But it's just stuff in a can that has caffeine in it. When it's particular to people, most of our customers who want to give a coffee gift don't really know how their loved ones make coffee, whether they have a grinder, what flavors they want. And so one of the cool things about being a personalization-centered brand is that we're in a place where we can, like for our gifting program for holiday this year, for example, empower people to give a really thoughtful gift to their loved one, that then through the onboarding experience we provide, uh, the recipient is actually able to tailor that gift specifically to exactly how they want their coffee to taste. What are the challenges towards sort of logistics currently or future challenges to logistics? In America, the Postal Service, which is a principal shipping partner of ours, has been greatly politicized. And we definitely saw some interruption for first-class mail in August of this year. And then just from parcel shipping in general, I've been hearing anecdotally that UPS and FedEx are basically running it above their total capacity. And in most years, the holiday season increases the strain on that burden by up to 40, 50%. So you're going to see a lot of retailers get cut off by the carriers. Sorry, we don't have room to move your packages for holiday this year. And a lot of consumers are going to encounter either peak holiday surcharges, shipping chart charges, some retailers might increase prices. There's a lot of unprecedented stuff that's going to happen in e-commerce writ large this holiday season. Mike, thanks so much for sharing your powerful insights today with us at Fifth Wave. Thank you very much for having me. If you want to explore Trade's website, we've linked it in the show notes. Next up, we're exploring the domestic coffee machine market with DeLonga USA. We're going to be speaking with Maria Colon, Head of Marketing and Customer Experience, and Doug Parkinson, the Coffee Category Manager. DeLonga makes drip coffee machines, pod capsule brewers, as well as automatic and manual espresso machines. Maria and Doug tell us that North American consumers are increasingly embarking on the coffee quality journey. They're exploring different flavors and definitely deepening their knowledge of coffee. Increasingly, they see a small but very fast-growing segment of consumers 
who are getting very particular about their coffee. And these consumers are splurging on expensive manual espresso machines to replicate the quality cafe experience in their own kitchens. Doug and Maria, thanks so much for joining us at Fifth Wave today. Doug, if I may start with you, what impact has COVID had on the domestic coffee machine market in North America? COVID's had a a major impact on the home espresso machine market, as well as just overall consumption in North America. You know, we're kind of in a unique position at DeLonghi where we have Nespresso or pod espresso machines. We have manual machines and we have automatic machines and all three are growing, but arguably the manual and more particularly the premium manual segment is actually growing at the fastest and kind of driving the lion's share of growth for the category. Many of our listeners will equate American homes with those old drip coffee makers. What's happening at the moment with the standard drip machines? Are espresso machines taking over from drip machines? Yeah, so for drip coffee machines, the market is relatively flat for home uh, machines in particular. And while espresso machines makes up arguably a fraction of the total size, they make up most of the growth of the entire category or the universe of coffee machines in general, if you will. Maria, I'd be really curious to get your take on espresso machines and espresso consumption in the home. I think the last few months, we have definitely seen a surge in just overall desire to be a little bit more educated and and learn a little bit more about espresso-based drinks. You know, I'd like to say that was actually helped our business a few light years, perhaps, um, just because of the fact that consumers are much more interested in higher quality beverages. But we've also seen it from like a coffee bean standpoint. Coffee bean sales are up. Coffee subscriptions are are obviously increasing. So I think it is the overall experience that consumers are kind of gravitating towards. So it is higher quality beverage, but it's also a little bit more of, I would say, kind of a hobby. You know, you can learn about different types of beans, different origins. You can get as immersed as you want in that whole world. And then specifically with our products, obviously, we have a lot of accessories that we also sell with our products like knock boxes and pitching frothers and and different things like that. So I think there's the whole fun part of it, too, discovering what type of latte art you might want to do. So I think it it is the whole component and it's definitely uh, an experience versus a commodity. You know, I just need this to kind of get me through the day. Maria, could you shed some light on the differences your data is showing among the different age groups? How do millennials behave with respect to coffee buying in the home compared to older age groups? We've definitely seen um, a trend to a younger audience. I wouldn't say that is specific to something that's happened during this COVID time period. We were seeing it a little bit before that. And I think it just comes down to the notion that this is a thousand dollar machine and maybe somebody that's 23 years old can't afford it or they don't have the disposable income to do so. You know, that just kind of was dispelled earlier on and we're continuing to see that. And specifically, anecdotally, I think what we're thinking is just that even if you're younger, you're making deliberate choices on where to spend your money. So perhaps you're not buying books or magazine subscriptions or going out to eat as much, but you're saving up that money because you really appreciate espresso-based drinks and you want to invest in that for your home. And the other thing that I would just add is that really consumers to convert and to actually purchase a machine, they need to have not only um, a functional 
excuse to purchase, but it also has to be an emotional excuse to purchase. So sure, you know, being able to make espresso um, and being able to save money and being able to handcraft all that in your own home is great. But they also, again, on that emotional side, they also kind of have to feel like it's an intelligent choice. The quality is not subpar. They're not necessarily relegated to whatever the barista wants to serve them. They're kind of taking control back into their own hands. I think at the end of the day, it's not just about the the features that the machine has, but it's also about how it makes you feel, what you're able to do, and what you're able to kind of reward yourself with. What sort of product innovations can we expect to see for the home coffee market? I, I think what what the future holds is a much more developed market in North America and a greater appreciation for quality and replicating quality in the home. And what I mean by that is it starts at the coffee bean, first and foremost, and knowledge around origins, location, altitudes. And then people are realizing the enhanced experience in the home starts with the coffee bean and you need a grinder to kick off the whole quality experience in home. So that's one major thing. In addition, I think on the fully automatic side, enabling people to personalize, customize, save different profiles for different family settings, leveraging just technology to a greater extent is going to be uh, a trend that's gonna be accelerated in a bigger way, connected devices. So utilizing the phone that's in your pocket and in your hands 24 seven to then create espresso-based beverages from the ground up and save that to your machine. And then on the manual side, because it is a different attitude, because there is a perception within this segment that to get quality, just like a coffee shop, you need to have the hands-on experience. I think the knowledge is going to continue to skyrocket and very specific features are going to become even more important to that segment as they become more knowledgeable. And, And you're talking about very granular specific things too, like just even the filter baskets that are used. There's a whole segment of people that are very passionate about very specific things. They are looking to have home machines carry over some of those specifications from what they may see out of home. So when it comes to espresso brewing, they're looking at the actual filter baskets, whether they're pressurized or non-pressurized, and which is very interesting because it's very particular, it's very specific. And so it obviously entails having a tremendous amount of knowledge on the category overall. So are we expecting to see the at-home market growing at the same rate for many years to come? Or is this just a sort of an impact from COVID? I, I can say that the market has been growing at double digits and that's not going to subside anytime soon. If anything, it will be accelerated because when it's all said and done, in North America, espresso machines, the household penetration is is very small. It's, it's less than 15%. So there's a lot of runway. And I think this whole situation has just accelerated the development of the category. Doug Maria, thanks so much for joining us today and for sharing all those wonderful insights. Okay, we're finishing up this episode by speaking with Paul Radden, who's the CEO and founder of Coffee Hit. Coffee Hit is a UK-based e-commerce platform selling coffee equipment to cafes and also for the home coffee enthusiast. 
And because home coffee enthusiasts tend to purchase their equipment online, Paul explores how roasters and even cafes should navigate e-commerce. Paul explains when to build distribution partnerships and in what circumstances manufacturers should sell on Amazon. Paul, thank you for joining us here at Fifth Wave. I'd love to start with your journey. What's your story and what's the genesis of Coffee Hit? So I guess 2008, uh, I started as a mobile coffee van, essentially, and I'd go around to business parks trying to sell specialty coffee to metal workers and, and, and factory workers. It was a tough sell, but once they had a taste of the coffee, they really enjoyed it and would come back for more. But what we I would do is when I wanted great barista gear, I would end up importing it from Australia or the US and it was increasingly getting more inexpensive. So four years after that business started, I I sold it and set up Coffee Hit with an idea to bring in good quality barista tools to the UK market. When I first started, it it was a bit of a risk because I didn't know how big the at-home coffee market was. And certainly on the cafe front, as what I would see as specialty cafe in, in an Australian style, there really was only flat white. But I went with a backpack up to flat white full of product and met with Cameron there. And he sat me down. He said, right, show me what you've got. And I laid out everything on the table, some milk pitchers, some tampers, He just sat there and said, right, I'll have 10 of that, 10 of this, I'll have five of this and 12 of those. And I thought I've got the right product here and this is the perfect customer. And then then whenever I saw a new cafe opening, I would get my backpack full of the product they ordered, take it up there personally, meet the owner. And that's sort of how we grew the business, working from my kitchen table. I'm also really curious to know how COVID has affected your business. You saw people taking up sort of baking, knitting, gardening, uh, and included in that was uh, people making coffee. Uh, I know personally at Coffee Hit, we saw a nearly 100% increase in sales to people at home, coffee brewers, grinders, that sort of thing. A lot of businesses uh, will ask me, will this continue? And uh, I, I don't think it'll continue at the rates we saw at the beginning, but it will level off at a higher level as more people have now sort of got into that routine of making coffee at home. There will be an element of people that think this is too hard. I'm going to go back to getting all my coffee at the cafe. So then the other side is I've spoke to a lot of coffee shops and local roasters and it's like, well, how do I take advantage of this increased coffee consumption at home when I'm a coffee shop or I'm a roaster? And obviously you need to be online to do that. I mean, gone are the days where you could just set up a website, throw some product up and it would sell. So we need to think about where your customers are and where they're looking and obviously they're looking on their phones so i would focus a lot on uh, facebook be posting two to three times a day join the local business association they will be posting you know at least five times a day and and some of them will be promoting your business you do need a website but people are coming to your website not to buy aeropress or v60s they're coming to your website to see what hours you're open what you're offering in terms of food and drink, and possibly can I book a table? You know, what are the restrictions around COVID? So that needs to be front and center of your website and not trying to sell products that you have on the shelf, but the service and product you're offering in the shop. What about Amazon? Is Amazon an opportunity or is Amazon a risk for e-commerce and coffee? It's both. It's a risk, but it's an opportunity. And 
you've got to play by Amazon's rules. I mean, I've dealt with Amazon for over 10 years and I see so many people, uh, they buy a bunch of AeroPresses, they throw them into Amazon and they just look at the unit sold and go, this is amazing. But once you actually analyze what your profit is, you'd be surprised that you actually could be making a loss on that. So whenever I'm on Amazon, I always know that they're going to take between 20 and 25% of the total sale. So once you factor in that, and if you're only buying in small volumes, there's not a lot of uh, profit left. So you need to know the rules around Amazon and how to play that, but it does present an opportunity. If you have a unique product and if you're a roaster, then obviously your coffee is unique. It allows you a platform to advertise and promote that coffee, but you've got to remember that you're competing against the world really. So it, it can be fought with danger. I mean, we've certainly stepped back from Amazon. We list products that we have, you know, very high margin on because I know I can cover the fees that Amazon, because the other thing with Amazon is the cost of anything always goes back to the supplier. So you can use it to your advantage, but I would certainly focus on getting your own e-commerce platform and website done first. I know that Partly as a result of Brexit, you've recently partnered with a European distributor and are not selling directly into the EU market anymore. When does it make sense to partner with a distributor instead of entering the market directly? Say I've got a, I wanted to sell products into Greece, for example. Well, the, prob- the hurdles I have is I don't speak the language, I don't know the culture, and I don't know how business is really transacted there. So I can either spend a whole lot of money in trying to learn that and make mistakes and you know eventually getting it right, or I can partner with a fantastic guy who, who knows all that, will look after my product and I can hit the ground running. So in, in a sense, does local become more important in today's world? Now, local will become more important in the current situation we're in. It's customers uh, really spend more online. They want to have that reassurance that there is support at the end of a phone, someone who understands you know, the product that they have, the issue they're having, and can help them very quickly. And if you are going to sell online, that's really what differentiates you is your customer service. The product is almost secondary. It's it's the customer service you provide for that product that will stand that product apart. And when I first started out, you know, when someone wanted to return something, I took it personally. I thought, what's wrong with the product? You know, I thought, I like this product. Why why don't they like it? But you've got to just understand that it may not be for them. And if you give them a really nice return process, they'll be 100% be back and they'll tell other people. And as an entrepreneur, what would you have done differently in your business? With today's, all the knowledge of today, what would you have wanted to have learned earlier or have applied earlier to your business? I would have learned more about the financials of running a business. When I first started, I had no idea what a P&L was, a balance sheet. And really for the first three, four years, someone asked me what my margin was. I, I didn't really know what they were talking about. So if I look back, the biggest piece of advice I can say to someone is, is learn the financials. And the other piece of advice is don't take on debt. Debt will uh, hang over a business. It'll hang over you personally. It's like a noose around the business and your neck. It's tempting to start to take on debt. And probably halfway through our growth cycle, I took on debt and I regretted it the whole time. When we paid that off, it was so liberating. 
and now we don't have any debt in the business. You know, if you're debt free now and you went into COVID, you're ahead of every other business because they still have that debt that needs servicing. So learn the financials, learn everything about your product, you know, its landed costs, you know, and and never undersell your product. That's the other thing is a lot of people will cheapen their product by offering it at a lower price. Know what your margins are and stick to them. Paul, amazing. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for joining Fifth Wave. Pleasure, Jeffrey. And that's all this week for the Fifth Wave podcast. We'd love to know what interests you so we can make our episodes relevant to your business and to your experiences in the world of coffee. Please visit us at worldcoffeeportal.com slash fifth wave and tell us what topics you'd love to hear about. This podcast was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And the beautiful music you're listening to now is City of Colours by Holly Rogers, a musician from London, part of the Coffee Music Project. Hope you'll enjoy it. When London called, I called it off. Thought I wasn't good For the city of colours, city of love And all the beautiful people on the sides of the bar But with my headphones on, I listen near As Frost's guitar begins to sing And he asks how it is that I could ever be lonely In this place where so many have it much worse than me Young and restless
Cause the life I chose Only left me breathless And I know I was close Living young 